Welcome to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. This is Kim, and we're uh, we're celebrating birthday today. Uh, it's the birthday of the Chevrolet Camaro. It's 50 years old. They began production in 1966. It's now 2016. And to celebrate the birthday, the National Historic Vehicle Registry has inducted Chevrolet Camaro number one into their registry. It was a Granada gold car, 230 cubic inch, six-cylinder, with a three-on-the-tree manual transmission. Uh, amazing car was photographed for press releases, ended up at a dealership in Yukon, Oklahoma, where it sat for two years. Uh, the dealer knew that he had car number one, and he wanted sticker price, even though it was a three-year-old car by the time it sold in 1969. Uh, a woman bought the car. She paid $2,550 for it, even though it was three years old. car stayed in Oklahoma for 30 years. It was a drag car in the 1980s and was acquired not too long ago by Camaro collector Corey Lawson. He knew he had car number one, uh, was very, very lucky to find a lot of the original parts, original documents, and spent two years restoring the car. Uh, it's a perfect concourse car now. Uh, it was done in 2014. And this summer it will be at the Woodward Dream Cruise. I believe it's in August in Detroit. So there will be an opportunity to uh, take a look at Serial number one, Camaro. Uh, the name Camaro came from the French word of comrade, uh, which means friend. General Motors was desperate to come out with something to beat the Mustang. Uh, Mustangs were selling like crazy. They started the pony car market, and General Motors needed to catch up. So they brought out the first-generation Camaro, which basically ran from 1907 1967 to 1969. Uh, we're lucky today. We're going to have uh, a well-known Camaro collector, Gary, will be on uh, in a few minutes. And he'll talk a lot about uh, the Z28, which is kind of the, the holy grail of the first-generation Camaros. But until Gary joins us, uh, let's just talk a little bit about the, uh, the history of the Camaro. The first generation, uh, 1967 through 69, brought us the Rally Sport which was basically an appearance package, uh, deluxe interior. It had this now-famous hidden headlights. Um, of course, we had the Z28, which was the big uh, big performance monster, and we also had the Supersport. Supersport gave us a domed hood uh, with simulated vents. It had a bumblebee stripe around the nose, heavy-duty suspension, and D70 series tires on 14-inch wheels. Uh, the 230-cubic-inch straight-six was the base engine for the first-generation Camaro, and those power plants went all the way up to a 396 V8. Uh, 1969 is a big year for the Camaro. It got lots of improvements. It got new fenders, new door skins, new rear quarters, grill taillights. just became a, a much wider, broader-looking car. Uh, it was also the Indy Pace car in 1969. Um, a lot of those replicas around, the real Indy car was powered by a 396. Most of the factory repl replicas were 350s. The cars were white. 
They were Rally Sport Super Sport convertibles. They had the big orange stripes and the orange and white houndstooth interior. Uh, there's a lot of factory, you know, real factory replicas out there. And then, unfortunately, there's a lot of not-so-real factory replicas. So when you're buying them, you have to, uh, you have to be careful. Uh, also in 1969, we saw two very radical Camaros uh, produced in limited numbers. Uh, they were something called COPOs. COPOs stands for Central Office Production Order. It's kind of a famous term amongst uh, General Motors collectors. Uh, the first COPO Camaro in 1969 was the COPO 9561, which was the base sport coupe. Uh, equipped with a 427 cast iron big block, which gave us 425 horsepower. They made 1,015 of these Copo 9561s. Most of them went to Yanko Chevrolet, which was in Pennsylvania. Now, the Copo, or the Central Office Production Order moniker, when GM brought it out, it wasn't really intended to have anything to do with a high-performance car. The intention of the Copo system was for much more mundane things like taxi cabs that needed to be ordered with special interior fabrics or cars for municipalities that needed to be ordered in flat beige. Don Yanko of Yanko Chevrolet uh, flipped it around and probably surprised GM by using this Copo option to uh, get himself some Camaros with big engines, and then he did a few more things. He added, changed the seats around a little bit and created some of the most collectible Camaros uh, ever. The other Copo option in 1969 was the 9560 option. That gave the car an all-aluminum VL1 engine. Uh, they only built uh, 69 of these cars, I believe. The option on the car was $4,100. Not the whole car, just the aluminum ZL1 option. Everything was aluminum. The cylinder case, the heads, the intake, the water pump. Uh, the engine actually weighed. Here's a big block engine that weighs exactly the same as a 350 small block. So it's an incredible car, but remember, they only built 69. So if you see a, uh, a ZL1, you need to make sure it's real before making some sort of a purchase. Um, we then went to the second-generation Camaro, which ran from 1970 to 1981, really. Um, in 1970, a lot of domestic cars had a very strong European influence. Um, it's thought that uh, the Ferrari cars... Uh, had a lot of influence on the design of the new Camaro. It wasn't particularly well received by the press. Uh, gone from the 1970 Camaro was the front spoiler and the cold air induction hood. These went away because of changes in the rules in Trans Am racing. Uh, the rules said you could now add, if you were racing in the Trans Am series, you could add a front spoiler and a cold air induction hood, even though they were not on production cars. Prior to that, any car that was raced in the Trans Am series, uh, most of the options sort of things had to be on production cars. You couldn't add them just for racing. Also, what was happening in the 1970s, times were changing. We had unleaded fuel. We had gas lines. Everybody was all about fuel economy. As a result, in 1972, we lost the big block engine in the Camaro. 
1970, um, it was the kind of the peak of the power as far as the second generation's Camaros went. We were at 375 horsepower and 415 foot-pounds of torque. Um, 1975, just to give you a perspective, uh, the most powerful 1975 Camaro was down to 155 horsepower. We're just Five years before, it was at 375. We wouldn't see 200 horsepower in a Camaro again until the 1980s. Also, for the second generations, 1970 through 1981, Chevrolet dropped the convertible. Convertibles were expensive to make. Uh, they were expensive. They sold for a big premium, um, and they were losing popularity. Um, the vinyl roof uh, kind of gave people the same look as a convertible, uh, it didn't leak like most convertibles did, and air conditioning was now affordable. So here you could, you know, ride around, stay nice and cool, look nice and cool, and didn't have to deal with the cost and sort of headache of a convertible car. Um, also in the 70s, um, they, we kept the unibody. Um, the Camaros have always had a unibody in the uh, unibody with a front sub subframe, rear leaf springs, and A-arms. So they carried that into the second generation. Um, they did, unfortunately, we lost the 327, 327 engine. It was replaced by a 350. So again, just a sign of the times. We kept the Rally Sport and the Super Sport package. Um, the Rally Sport got itself a split front chrome bumper. 1970 was an interesting year for bumpers. A British car, the MG, also had a split chrome bumper in 1970. Um, I guess it was just, just a look at the times. Um, interesting fact, um, the Z28 second generation Camaro was powered by an LP1 engine, and it was available in either a four-speed or an automatic. During that same time, in 1970, that LP1 engine appeared in a Corvette, and it was available only as a four-speed. Uh, as far as production numbers go, the Camaro is constantly fighting the Mustang. In 1971, production of the Camaro was 114,000. Mustang was still leading at 150,000 cars. 1974, uh, still second generation, Things changed again. Uh, we got big, thick aluminum bumpers on the Camaro. Completely different look. And as far as the Mustang goes, things really changed because the Mustang II came out. It was a tiny little car, not even really a pony car. And that really gave Camaro a big sales boost. The Mustang wasn't particularly well received. Um, as we continue on, in 1975 was not a good year. The Camaro lost the Z28 designation. That wouldn't come back again until 1977. Um, however, by the time we got to 1977, production was looking great. Production on the Camaro was up to 218,000. Mustang was down to 153,000. Um, in terms of collectible Camaros, I do think there's a couple things to look at as far as the second generation goes. 1977, the Z28 came back. It was kind of a handling and appearance package, but it was the first time we'd seen the Z28 in a couple years. So it's worth uh, worth taking a look at as a collectible. Generation 3 Camaros ran from 1982 
1992. We had some exciting things like the uh, introduction of the digital speedometer, the digital dash. Uh, that was in 1984. Um, the IROC-Z came in 1985. IROC stood for the International Race of Champions. That was a televised race series of specially prepared Camaros. The Z stood for Z28. Um, that ran all the way through 1990. The IROC-Z was a very, very popular car, great seller for General Motors. In 1990, Dodge took over the Internet. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Kim on the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Today we're talking to Gary about first-generation Camaros. First-generation Camaros were 1967 to 1969, and they started building them in 1966. So GM is celebrating this year uh, 50 years of building the Camaro. And also Camaro serial number one was just a week ago inducted into the National Historic Vehicle Register. So uh, that's a big deal. Not too many muscle cars uh see that honor. So, uh, Gary, let's start with just talking about, uh, you know, what is the first-generation Camaro? What did we see in 1967? What models did, uh, did General Motors have? And we'll go from there. Well, Kim, uh, that's really amazing for that Camaro, number one. Um, who, who actually owns that now, you know? Um, I don't know. I do know um, it's going to be at the Woodward Cruise. Uh, which is in Michigan in August. Um, oh, 
It's uh, the car's gold. I can't remember what they called gold in 1967. It's a six-cylinder, really kind of a base car. Uh, but it's been perfectly restored to exactly as the way it uh, rolled off the line in 1966. And I don't think it's going to actually do the Woodward Cruise, but General Motors will have it there for a display. Um, and then I think uh, probably for the next calendar year, they'll take it around the country to different Camaro events. So it'll uh, it'll be a big deal. Oh, I'll tell you, that is a big deal. It was it was a great era in growing up. Um, I was born in 1950, and of course in 1967, I was 17, and I got to see a perfect uh, time of muscle cars in that era. Um, Chevrolet GM, they were really, really far behind. I mean, uh, in 19, late 66, 67, um, Ford with the Mustang had already been established in 1964. So the Mustang had that pony car really wrapped up, and also Chrysler had a Barracuda in 1964. So I think GM kind of was, um, man, they were they wanted to get in the game. They really wanted to get in the game, and I think they did a real good job with the idea of um, the Camaro coming out in uh, late 66, 67. I think that was um, – a real fun car. It was a sporty car, a two-door car. It was, um, I mean, just the idea. Just all, It only came in in two doors. And they had so many different options. I mean, my gosh, they had options from color codes to wheels to 14-inch uh, rims, 15-inch rims. They had um, six cylinders. They had the V8s. They had the big V8s. They had the the four speeds, they had the automatics. Um, the 67 Camaro was really a big, big uh, deal for Chevrolet and, and uh, GM. And the idea that it came out in such a time where I think Chevrolet hit it right on the head with uh, competing against the Mustang and the Barracuda. So now the, um, the Z Everybody talks about, you know, Z28s and Super Sports and Rally Sports. Uh, were those uh, special editions, did they come out right away, or did General Motors do like they do today, kind of come out with a base car, and then every six months or every year uh, introduce something just to kind of keep the car alive and keep the press talking about it? Well, actually, Chevrolet um, had a lot of packages, but, to really talk about the Z28 was probably the elite, elite car for 67 and 68 um, and 69 as far as the Camaro. The Z28 was just a car that, um, I mean, and it, it, to each his own, but my gosh, the car had everything. Um, it had um, a four-speed, which they never did offer an automatic in 1967. 1968 or 1969. They never offered an automatic um, car as far as the Z28 package. Now, in 1967, the um, car was only produced um, as far as production-wise. There was only like 602 67 Z28s made. 
And they actually did this so that they could get into um, the SSCA uh, uh, as far as the um, uh, the racing, as far as the, um, you know, Donahue and uh, the um, actual racing uh, production to get into SCCA Trans Am Series. And um, they had to be within a, a certain cubic inch. Um, they had to be under 305 cubic inch with the Z28 package. Now, in 67, they actually came out with, uh, of course, 67, 68, and 69 were identified as a 302 cubic inch engine rated, rated at 290 horsepower. Now, when they came out with this, they they actually were in to the SCCA Trans Am series by being under 305 cubic inches. And this was Chevrolet's idea of competing, I mean, with um, not only with the Trans Am series, but within drag racing and, and just uh, have a production car that was a high-performance vehicle. Um, they did a heck of a job. I mean... Um, the CO2, um, 302 inches, you can imagine, this car was rated at 290 horsepower, but on a dyno, the car actually put out 350 horsepower. Now, that is crazy horsepower because it's more than one horsepower per cubic inch. And the 302 dominated. I mean, it just dominated um, everything around its um, competition because of the high revving motor, the 302 cubic inch, and the high horsepower that I guess Chevrolet underrated because of insurance reasons. Um, it was phenomenal. I mean, they had um, the 302 cubic inch with the four speed with Muncie and um, actually the positive traction unit. Um, they came out with different packages as far as um, they had a rally sport um, with um, the flip lights. They had the uh, just the regular Z28 package with, you know, the straight headlights, just two headlights, and they weren't covered. Um, in 1967, they had electric um, uh, as far as windows to actually open the, the um, grills for the lights in 1967. In 68, they went to vacuum. But... Um, they, the packages that they had with the Z28, um, what identified the Z28 in 1967 was really only the stripes. The stripes came out on the hood and um, only on the trunk. It was never identified on the side of the fenders. Um, it was hidden. I mean, it was, it was no like badging that said Z28? No badging. Zero wow. badging. Just stripes. Did GM call it the Z28? I guess that was sort of an order code. Like when you went to order, you ordered code Z28 as opposed well, to actually putting it on the car. Well, what happened was, and I've heard and seen this in different magazines through my time of being involved with the Z28, Chevrolet's product for the promotion manager was a guy named Vince Piggins. And he actually... Uh, brought to Chevrolet um, to get into this um, cubic inch type of engine to compete in racing was a 327 cubic inch block 
that had a 283 3-inch stroke crank. And that made it 302.3 cubic inch. And that, um, by far, actually made it within the 305 cubic inch that was allowed in the SCC um, racing. Um, it also, they had no idea um, that this, this engine was putting out 350 cubic inches on a dyno. It was, I mean, they rated it 290. That's, that's exactly what it's rated at. But in 67, they, with going back to the badges, there was no badges. Um, they only put 602 cars out. They actually didn't identify the, the vehicle at a package until 1968. They gave it a name, uh, back in 1968. I don't, I, I can't remember exactly what month it was, but during the mid-production in 68, the RPO um, Z28 option became an official Camaro model name, and then it was identified as Z28 on the side of the fenders. And this was, in, of course, in 1968 that they actually gave it the name and gave it the the, uh, the stripes, of course, are the same, but they actually put Z28 right on the side fenders. Now, what really confused you, and, Kim, this is really neat, Right before, around March and a little bit before, Chevrolet, on the side of the fenders in 68, put 302 for two to three months on the side of the fenders. It had 302, which meant it was a 302 cubic inch motor. But after March, they actually identified the unit with the program that they wanted everybody to know that this is now. A Z28. So then they put, after March, they put Z28 on the fenders. It, it's well, sorry, it's really a two on the fenders, really, really a rare car. It's, you know what, Kim, I will say this, that um, they're kind of, the Z28 are rare in, in actually uh, a lot of different ways. I mean, they're rare in colors, they're rare in, um, the idea of the interiors, they're rare in the idea of, of um, the options that they gave. They had different gauges. They had um, con different consoles. Um, it's They're rare in so many different ways. And the, the 67 was the rarest of all because they only made 602 of them. Um, how, many, how many did they make in 68? In 68, they made just under, just under 7,200 uh, vehicles. Wow. Now, they carried 7,200 Z28s. 7,200 Z28s. Wow. Yes. So it went, uh, went from 600 to 7,200. That's, uh, that's a big, that's that's a big jump. It is a big jump. And you know what, Kim, that just goes to show you that um, Chevrolet's um, to identify that car and to put that out there in on the street, um, it just actually shows you that, that people just love that high revenue. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. 
When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. This is Kim on the Classic Car Show and America's Web Radio, and thanks for listening. We are back with Gary, and we're talking about first-generation Camaros, specifically Z28s. Um, they were talked about how incredibly rare the Z28 was when it came out in 1967. They made 602 cars. Uh, the car... The options, the power, everything uh, caught on with uh, with America, and by 1968, production was up to 7,200 Z28s, and Chevrolet realized that uh, Z28 kind of had a ring to it, and actually uh, decided to call the car a Z28. Um, back in 1967, they really uh, really didn't. So, uh, Gary, tell us. Uh,
it was not. It was a subframe, Kim. It was a subframe. It had two frames. It had the front side from the cowl on up, and from the back side, it had it from like the door on back, underneath the car. The frame was never attached. This is one of the things that I know Chevrolet would like to do over: attach and extend that frame. I mean. Only because of the idea of the torques uh, situation, when these guys were running drags up in uh, in, in the times, I mean, you're running ten inch slicks, and then that car is coming off the ground, and she's actually twisting. Um, I mean, these cars were going in like the twelves, and uh, that was fast back in the day. And now um, I know things have changed throughout the. Uh, the times from 67 to now, but they still run 302 engine, and they've already got it down now to like a 1059, 1050, and that is a big, big, big jump in a quarter mile. And um, it's a blueprint in Z28 that they've documented that's actually going into high tens. So this this engine has really um, been tweeted and has been actually uh, phenomenal to the racing series um, of all types. And also, to have it on the street is amazing. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, here you are stopped at a red light, and there's a car next to you. I don't care if it's a Mustang, a GTO, a 440. I mean, you're going you're gonna to give him a run for his money, you know, and it, it's, it's fun. It's a, it's a fast, fun car to, to own. It really is. Um, if you ordered a Z28 without the stripes, you know, if you really wanted a sleeper, um, could you no. get it with, say, dog dish hubcaps and no stripes? No. Um, so every Z28 was, had, uh, had stripes. And what did they have, rally wheels? Yes, they did. They had, okay. there, was no option, there was no option there. Um, every Z28, and, and they did have different, uh, for instance, uh, like the 67 had some smaller centerpiece caps. Uh, the 68 went to a different centerpiece caps as far as on the on the hubs, but um, and it gave you a little bit different appearance. And they both look great, but um, no, um, you could not change that option. Um, How about a vinyl top? Would they put those on the Z28? I'm sorry. Would they put a vinyl Again? top on the Z20? A vinyl top on yes. the Z28? Yes, yes, you can. The vinyl top was um, very well liked. Um, there was a lot of Z28s made with a vinyl top, and that was pretty neat. Um, and 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 that showed, um, for instance, like let's say you had the black vinyl top, and then you had black stripes going down on whatever color car you wanted. Mine is AAA turquoise. Um, it's a KK code and it has black stripes on turquoise in the front, and then nothing on the roof, and then also the black stripes on the uh, trunk, which is really neat. All of them had dual exhaust. Um, you know, that was definitely, uh, uh, that, that, that you actually, that was part of the program, and it was like a, a two to two and a half inch exhaust system, which was really, um, it sounded really good, even without headers, it sounded great. Um, the one thing, there, there's, there's some things that, that we would probably change today, um, Chevrolet would change. Um, one that came out with um, 
Chevrolet came out with, uh, let's say, not only the subframes that we talked about, but um, they came out with a timing, cam timing gear. Okay, you have your crank gear that's on the crank, and then you have your timing gear that's on your camshaft. Well, that, that gear actually had a nylon coat on it on top of an aluminum-based gear. And what happened was, after a period of time, that nylon actually got hard, brittle, and started to come apart. And then you'd get slop in your timing chain. Well, these particles, I mean, these pieces of um, nylon teeth that were on each tooth of the timing uh, gear actually fell down into the oil pan. And the oil pan... And yeah, all came it was crazy because the oil pump would suck those pieces of nylon up into the screen of the oil pump. And to be honest with you, it wasn't much longer where they'd either jump time or the idea that they um actually uh actually it could be a catastrophic failure. But I um I believe in a in a double roller timing chain to correct all that. I mean you're better off having uh, a strong gear, a strong chain um, that, that doesn't have a chance to break. And um, I would recommend that highly for any small block Chevy that's, um, that's going to run a high RPM like they do. Um, then they, they, they did some other things, too. I mean, um, the, uh, the carburetors, um, depending on where it was uh, um, built, okay, um, the the cars were built in two different places. Um, the one um, place that's very, very well liked because it was in Norwood, Ohio, not too far from Cincinnati, um, they actually didn't have a problem with emissions. Um, what I'm saying is when they put an exhaust system on the, on the vehicle, it did not have to have an air pump and tubes because it was built in, um, in Cincinnati and, and Norwood, whereas the other place that they developed the car and pr pr produced the car was in um, L.A. and um, Van Guy's um, uh, L.A. In, in California. And, they were, and, and back in those days, they were really getting strict with the smog um, in fact, uh, Chevrolet by 1973, I mean, things started to go downhill and horsepower and everything else because of the idea that it was um, getting to a point where, um, you know, emissions were coming in pretty heavy. Um, you know, our, our, our government and our, our uh, I guess, uh, people that actually produced uh, the vehicles, they just weren't seeing eye to eye. So I guess the government won to have on that as far as, um, you know, as far as emissions and stuff like that. And, and we can see that as today, even with trucks getting involved with uh, with emissions. But um, I'll tell you what, the um, Z28 had uh, a couple other things that were different. The 67 Z28 um, had a set of heads on it that were on the intake valve. It was uh, 1.94 inches. And on the exhaust side, it was uh, a 1.50 to exhaust the um, combustion chamber. Well, in 1968, they actually went to a 2.02. .02. They went a larger intake, and they also went to a 1.60 um, 
exhaust valve, and this made this engine really breathe then. And, of course, in 69, they, they copied it again. They really liked the way the, the engine, not only the, the combustion with the 11-1 compression, but now it's exhausting, and it's just it's almost like if you had a boat where a prop was spinning around, and, the, and uh, the, water, the water wheel is one thing, but to exhaust the water is just as important as it is for something to turn it. So the, the combustion was made, and now they're relieving it. And the faster you relieve it, and the faster you get that engine back up to combustion, what, I mean, that's exactly what you want right there. A fast turnover and a lot of horsepower and, and, and to exhaust it. So um, noticeable that, difference if you're driving a '68 or '69 uh, V28 from a '67. Yeah, you will. Um, and the reason why is uh, a couple of different things. Um, the heads, for one, and um, corporation they had um, they both had 800 CFM, which is cubic feet per minute. Uh, they had a holly on it, which uh, was was real good. Um, they did do some things in uh, 1968, which was um, they had what you call air plenium. And um, the air plenium air filter was a really unique um, air filter. What had happened was um, they wanted to get as much air into the carburetion as they possibly could. And what they found was um, the air would hit the windshield and actually turned down in towards the car. Well, what had happened was that was turning down, and they had an open uh, windshield wiper vent that the, the wipers were mounted inside, but the vent was open. And what they did was they went into the cowl on the right-hand side, the passenger side, and they opened that cowl up, and it's about approximately uh, 10 to 12 inches open um, rectangle on the cow. And what they did was that air came rushing in, hit the window, and went straight around into that air filter that was attached to the cow and went right into the carburetion, which really made it like ram air. So it, it was really a unique um, part of... Um, of the idea of getting cold air and as much air into that highly carburetor. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby, the first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind, Passport Transport your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, 
America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're back with the last segment of uh, the classic car show on America's Web Radio and our talk about first-generation Camaros. And we've uh, we thought we've gotten a lot of good information, uh, particularly about Z28s, and uh, not many people know more about these cars than Gary. So we're going to take advantage of some being here and ask him uh, if one of our listeners is interested in buying a first-generation Camaro what should they look for? Um, I'm all about originality and believe that to get the most value out of a car, you want it to be as original as possible. So Gary's going to tell us a little bit about what to look for, and then we'll wind the show up with what I call cocktail party trivia. If you're at uh, a party, there's a group of people talking cars, and you want to talk first-generation Camaros, maybe five things that uh, you can bring up in a conversation that will keep it interesting. So, Gary, tell us a little bit about what we should look for if we're buying a first-generation Camaro. Well, Kim, I'll tell you, um, that's a really good question. Um, I, I would probably start with popping the hood and actually looking at the tag on the cow on the left-hand side of the um, vehicle as far as the driver's side. Um, and you know what I'd look for? I'd look for a change of rivets that hold the tag to the cow. I mean, if, if you're going to buy originality, you don't want to have to um, go through a situation where, you know, uh, this used to be a six-owner car, and then now it, all of a sudden it's a V8 car. Somebody swapped a tag off of a, a junk vehicle or a vehicle that was in a, an incident or accident. Um, you really need to identify and know um, what the rivets look like. I do that. I would and, imagine um, if we went to Google, you could probably put in original General Motors Camaro rivet and somebody on some forum has posted a picture. I, I'm sure that um, there is um, – there, there is a website out there that will identify a lot of um, uh, tags and um, as far as uh, the Z28. Um, and to believe it or not, the 1957 Z28 on the tag was much, much, much more identifiable than the 1968 Z28. Um, they'd lost some, uh, I guess, I guess some identification clauses there in, in 1968. It's much, much harder to identify, and you actually have to have documentation. Um, you want to know the person's integrity, um, where the history was, where it was started, and you want to, like a trail um, in 1968, because the 67 had a, a, a much more identifiable um, tag on the, on the vehicle. Um, now, the blocks, um, as long as the engine was identified as, um, for instance, like the blocks were that one number casting, which is really a three nine one four six seven eight block. It's a it's a it's a cast block number that's on the block for the Z twenty eight, and then on the front of the engine, um, there should be a MO code at the very end that tells you that it was actually assembled in Flint, Michigan. But 
that MO tells you, that MO stamp tells you that was a Z28 motor. Um, you only see them on Z28s. Now, the 67 and the 68 had MO to identify the 302 engine. In 1969, they went to DZ. So it was called a DZ302, which had the cow induction. Now, I would probably, if, if, if there's someone that's actually interested in buying one, I would try to tell them to get with somebody that actually has a little bit of experience, a lot more experience than just going out and buying something blind. Because, um, you know, uh, the Z28 came with this brake package. Um, it had front and rear at, at different uh, options. It had drums in the back, drum brakes in the back, and disc in the front, uh, from 67 and 68. And there's so many things. Um, the 68 um, actually had four leaf leaf springs in the rear. I mean, four leaf and positive traction. Now, the 67s only had one mono leaf with a traction bar on the right-hand side, so that's identifiable there, too. Um, the uh, Like I said, you'd have to pull the, the valve covers off to get different casting numbers um, because... The casting number um, was different on the heads. And you'd actually, I mean, to really get into it, you'd actually have to pull the heads off, look at the valves, measure them, or mic them. Um, you, you know, with somebody that's in the uh, Chevrolet small box, um, you can see it right away because there's a little gap between the, the uh, exhaust valve and the intake valve, a little space open. Um, on a 67 valve train, but on a 68 valve train, the valves are almost touching. The intake and exhaust valves on the combustion chamber are almost touching. So, therefore, that's visual. But um, there's there are so many things that um, that you want to look at. Um, let's say, for instance, just just to go back a minute, in 67, they had. Um, the 302 through the gates that had a small journal crank with a two-bolt main. In 1968, they went to a larger crankshaft with a two-bolt main. In 1969, they changed it again. They went to a four-bolt main with a large journal crank. So each year, each year from 67 to 68 to 69, the motor got better. I mean, the motor got stronger on the bottom end. When you're talking about rods, you're talking about the studs that actually go through the rod. They got larger from 67 to 68. Um, and so did the, the crank get larger and stronger. Um, these kind of things at high RPMs and high torque make a big, big difference. And... Um, you know, the Chevrolet identified that, and they actually made those adjustments as they, you know, saw it happening. So, um, and, and I'm sure. Go ahead, Kim. How about rust on a on a car? Um, you know, with my experience, um, every car has a particular spot where it rusts. Um, so, you know, sometimes you can get an excellent paint job. But uh, you end up with quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of body filler into there. So when you look at Camaros in general or C28s, 
is in one particular place, like the first place you go to, um, and put a refrigerator, you know, promotional-type magnet on it to see if it sticks to look for body filler? Where would they be prone to rust? Absolutely. The first thing, the first place that I think, um, in my opinion, the first um, place I would look would be the right rear and the left rear fender well. Um, the, they had a, a tendency to, to actually turn up um, debris, debris, water, snow, ice, whatever, because people didn't have the money to buy two or three cars back in the days. They had that Camaro, and they run it all year long. But that, that um, rear fender well would actually start to rust right up on the lip and then keep on getting up. It would be almost like cancer growing, and on both sides. Um, also, right underneath of the uh, where the license plate is um, sitting, right in the very back uh, part of the um, cowl of the um, back part underneath, the sheet metal, that one big panel that goes from the left rear to the right front, I mean the left rear to left um, right rear, and right underneath the license plate, and you'll see that start to get around because of the exhaust system. You'll start to see, well, let's say condensation does that. I mean, you'll see, you'll start that Z28 up, and my gosh, you might see some water come out of it, you know, condensation if it's sitting a while. Um, you'll see that water absorbed back in the corners of that back of the rear of that Camaro. So that's what I would look at first. But any time you're going to purchase a vehicle and um, you're looking at, uh, you know, depending on how good a shape that thing is, I'd, I'd be able – I think I would jack it up and uh, put it on stands and, and really look at it, uh, um, you know, with – pushing in the, the sheet metal, making sure that the uh, sheet metal hasn't been, uh, let's say, uh, the panels haven't been uh, reproduced as far as uh, it was so much rust in it that they had to buy new panels. Um, and that's one of the things that's hard to get now is, is OEM panels. I mean, yeah, they make reproduction, but it's not like um, you never had it welded on. I mean, it's, it's, it's really rare when you have a, a vehicle that um, – is that age coming up on 50 years old, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, you, you've never had any body work done to it. So, um, you know, yeah, that's a couple of things that I would look at, Dr. Now, we've got maybe two minutes left in the show. How about documentation? Are there things like uh, build sheets? Um, as far as original documentation goes, um, what should people look for when buying a Camaro? Oh, shoot, I'll tell you, I think that probably the – biggest thing that I would look for is the history of it on a, uh, it's kind of like a productive plate. Um, you get that when you purchase the vehicle and a productive plate, it's, it's really, um, it's nice to have receipts. It's nice to have um, a, uh, a trail of the idea of the history and the time that it was purchased and where it was purchased. Um, um, just for instance, my vehicle was born in Norway, Norwood, Ohio, and it was transferred to Plainsville, New Jersey. I have documentation of that. That's the kind of background and history that you want. Um, you actually want to make sure that 
you have as much identification as you possibly can from the time it was born. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio.